is Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome to the Thursday Update. Thursday, not Sam Thursday. There are a few people trying to come up with suggestions for what we can call the Thursday Update show. This is the new schedule, of course, Monday mornings, Thursday afternoons every week for Not Sam Wrestling. Somebody on Patreon wrote in, uh, I'd love to give you credit. Let me see if I can pull up my messages here on Patreon. Patreon.com, of course, slash Not Sam Wrestling. That's where all the shills go. But I'm not that good at Patreon. So I don't know where my uh, inbox is. I guess I could just check my email. They send the alerts, right? That's how I found out this was there to begin with. Um, this is ridiculous. What a way to start, huh? J- Joey Howley. Joey Howley suggests the kickoff. Kickout. The kickout as the name for the second show of the week. I don't know if I'm going to go with the kickout. Right now I'm going with Thursday, not Sam Thursday. And tip of the hat to Thursday, Raw Thursday. Thursday, not Sam Thursday. I don't know, but this is what we do every week. And I told you, doing it twice a week, I told you this last week when we taped the Thursday update, which technically came out very early Friday morning. That's not going to happen very often. But I told you, I realized last week, doing two of these shows a week is really going to give you a peek into how busy things get some of the time. Sometimes not that busy. Sometimes extremely busy. Today, I'm here in the Not Sam studio. I'm back from doing Jim and Sam this morning on Sirius XM, and as soon as we are done taping for today, I'm on a plane to Vegas for 24 hours on Friday, Uh, but hopefully I'll have some content back for you on the Monday show that has to do with the press conference that their WWE is doing, because that's a big story this week. WWE is doing a press conference on Friday involving Triple H, Tyson Fury, Cain Velasquez, Brock Lesnar, and Braun Strowman in no particular order. I wonder, oh, I wonder, oh, I wonder what it could be about. But we will find that out, obviously, and hopefully, since I'll be there, uh, I'll be able to get you some content that I will share with you on the Monday podcast. First thing Monday morning, of course, first crack goes to those Not Sam shills at patreon.com slash Wrestling. Look, we have even more to talk about than usual for a Thursday update show Uh, because we didn't get to review the pay-per-view on the Monday show just because of the way timing worked out. So I think that's where we should start. Let's go over what's been going down the last few days in the world of wrestling. And, I mean, say what you want about the finish to Hell in a Cell. It got people talking. I mean, it was trending into the next day from Sunday night into Monday. It was trending on Twitter. We talked about it on the Sirius show, which is a mainstream show, not a pro wrestling show. Uh, we we I was asked about it by non-wrestling friends. Everybody heard about it. Everybody heard about it. And, you know, I like the finish. I'm just kidding. How many of you? What? No, the finish to Hell in a Cell was obviously horrendous. It was terrible. On a couple of different levels... The finish to that Bray Wyatt. I mean, you know you've hit something 
when it's I mean, I, I think it's because, you know, the live audience was so vocal in their disappointment. And I also think that a lot of the disappointment in Hell in a Cell is runoff from the disappointment that Kofi Kingston lost the WWE championship after one move from Brock Lesnar. I think with Kofi Kingston, it's a little different because Kofi can recover. We talked about it on the Monday show that Kofi can get back to the top of the mountain. And if fans are vocal and they support Kofi and they make it known, it's the same way he got there in the first place. Kofi is in a position now where he can truly be undeniable. Um, The thing with the Hell in a Cell is that after the disappointment of the Kofi thing, the disappointment of the non-finish, the disappointment of the non-furthering of the story, the disappointment of the fact that it didn't make any sense, the disappointment of all of it combined, I think is what led to the reaction that it got. And I'm not sure what reaction could have been expected. You know, when I watched it, I said, well, WWE must have something up their sleeve because there's no way they could have expected a different reaction from the audience. The whole point, and here, here's, you know, I think the way a lot of fans would feel, the whole point of a Hell in a Cell is there must be a winner. Last year at Hell in a Cell, there was a non-finish, but at least it's because, and, and that was, you know, people hated it, but at least it was because Brock Lesnar came in, he ripped off the door, and he interfered and left both men unable to keep going, I guess. So at least it made sense because of the inclusion of Brock Lesnar. The idea that the whole attraction to this match was that the build for Bray Wyatt as the Fiend was so good from SummerSlam until now. That's two months of really building this character without him having a match and and seeing him beat Finn Balor at SummerSlam and take out legends, Jerry Lawler, Kurt Angle, you know, you saw it, all of it. Do the Funhouse skits. Have Seth Rollins be left terrified and in a heap week after week on Monday Night Raw. And it left you feeling like, well, I don't think that The Fiend is going to be the universal champion. That's kind of crazy. But I also don't see how Seth Rollins could beat him. I've got to see this match. And that's the feeling that you get. And it's not like... You know, when the match ends due to referee stoppage, you don't go, oh, that's a twist I didn't see coming. You go, well, yeah, I thought that that wasn't an option. Like, clearly, if that was an option, you'd go, well, they'll probably just do something ridiculous like that. And we had talked about that. You know, there were a lot of people going in that were going like, oh, they're going to screw this up. And I think me and a lot of other people went, well, you know what? I could see where you're coming from, but... The build of The Fiend has been so perfect and everything The Fiend has been involved with has been so good, even though it's so atypical from anything going on in wrestling right now, that there's no reason not to have faith in this. And unfortunately, the perfect streak of The Fiend is over. You know, for the match to end because Seth Rollins hit The Fiend with a sledgehammer after he was buried under a whole bunch of stuff. Look, you're in a hell in a cell. Okay, Mick Foley got thrown off the top and then thrown through the cell. And the stories have been told about how Mick's life was changed forever that day. 
that that Mick literally went well, not literally, but very, 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 very figuratively went through hell in that Hell in a Cell match, you know, and no other match could 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 even come close to the brutality that he went through. But he had to finish the match. And then you've got the inclusion of the sledgehammer. And you're going, well, Triple H, you know, swung a sledgehammer around like it was a racing baton when he was in the Hell in a Cell. You know, the, the, the sledgehammer inside a Hell in a Cell is not uncharted territory. So when you combine those two things, that the sledgehammer as a weapon has a precedent set, and the Cell match as a the most brutal structure in all of WWE, where anything goes and lives are changed forever, leaves me to sit there and go, how could a referee ever stop it? As long as a guy has a pulse, you know, I mean, if Bray Wyatt truly couldn't continue, Seth would have been able to pin him. And then it's like, well, you go, uh, well, it's okay because uh, Bray was actually playing possum the whole time. Well, why didn't Bray reveal himself before they called the match? Why would Bray continue to play possum until the match was called off and he couldn't win the title anymore? So that part didn't even make sense anymore. And so now this cool moment where you have Bray attacking Seth, because I loved what they did with the Fiend character. I loved the movement that the character took. And unfortunately, that movement was shadowed out by a finish that people didn't like. But the idea that the Fiend was painted as the living incarnation of a horror movie monster. The idea that the Fiend, no matter what you do, will just keep getting up. The Jason Voorhees-like qualities of the Fiend were cemented at this show. The idea that Seth could unleash every move, use every weapon, just the onslaught of violence against him, and nothing was enough. You've got to behead this guy, blow him into pieces, do something. And still, he would find a way to come back for the sequel. And Bray's portrayal of The Fiend is so good that you don't sit there feeling like it's cheese. You sit there captivated. You sit there compelled by it. But you want to believe that there is a genius level of intelligence behind this character. You know, that the character himself is this calculated guy. He comes across as very calculated. So what calculation would it be to not stop playing possum until after the match is already over and you don't get to go home with the Universal Championship? Um, you know, I think if it were me kind of coming across that, they didn't really bring it up much on Raw. They showed some clips of the match uh, towards the end of the third hour, and that was it, just saying this happened. No Seth, no Fiend, no nothing which I thought was interesting, but you can also get away with that on a pre-draft Raw. Um, you know, I, I, I think if it were me coming in, you have to figure out, okay, how do we recover from this? I think it was a misstep. You know, I think, I think it was a misstep for all involved. I felt bad for Seth because Seth is having a hell of a time getting the people behind him and moves like this don't help. I felt bad for Bray because of all the work that's been put into that character, and now there's a setback. It's not, you know, it's not destroyed, but there is a setback. I felt bad for some of the other matches at Hell in a Cell. I felt really bad for the women's Hell in a Cell match, which was tremendous, best match on the show, 
and a match that I wish was celebrated as much as the finish of the Fiend match was questioned. Um, I thought that the Tornado Tag match, Rowan and Harper, Roman and Brian, was great. I thought Chad Gable and Baron Corbin was really good. You know, I thought there were a lot of good, there was a lot of good stuff. Up until that point in the pay-per-view, it was a good show. It could have been great. But unfortunately, you know, the the our, the last thing that we saw clouded the judgment. Um, I think in terms of where do you go from here, there's certainly things you can do. You know, I think, number one, I would have come out on Monday and have somebody fine or suspend the referee. You know, just so, just, almost like a storyline way of acknowledging to the fans I know this wasn't what you wanted. So in storyline, we're going to develop a, a person here for you to blame. Because I saw on WWE's new show, The Bump, the morning show that Kayla Braxton is doing on Wednesdays, that they had a statement from the referee that said, you know, um, I used my judgment and blah, blah, blah. So the referee is taking responsibility for it. And this was on Wednesday. So now that, that the referee has taken responsibility for it, I think on Monday... That referee should be punished for the fact that he used bad judgment and that he called that match. He called it and ended it, you know, because it doesn't make any sense that the match was ended where it was. And that's kind of, and, and I think that it would go a long way if you acknowledge that. I said months ago that in order for Seth Rollins to really get the audience behind him, you've got to break him. You've got to break Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins, like, we've seen him gain his credibility back. Clean victory over Braun Strowman. Clean victory over Brock Lesnar. Like, he's, he's doing fine. He survived The Fiend. But you've got to have a Seth Rollins that's broken. Leave him as a shell of a man. Put him in a position where you can build real sympathy for him. And when you break him, leave him broken. Don't break him for a week. Break him for a couple of months. I mean, tell a story. Have Seth lose his confidence, his ability. Have Seth question everything. Okay? And the way you do this is you do a rematch between Seth and The Fiend at Survivor Series and you put the Universal Championship on The Fiend. It's the only thing that I think you can really do. If at Survivor Series you do another match and this one, let's call this one a last man standing or, or some kind of match where there has to be a finish and you can use all those weapons because clearly the referee was wrong and The Fiend was absolutely fine because he got up after all that. He's a monster, okay? So, I think that that level of brutality is important to repeat. But this time, no stoppage. Maybe you even pull out a some kind of special referee that won't call the match ever. And won't interfere, you know, won't get it all mucked up. But just you bring out some kind of 
senior official. Maybe you bring out one of the producers to be a referee. Maybe you bring Stone Cold Steve Austin back to be a referee. I mean, can you imagine that? If you do The Fiend versus Seth Rollins with Steve Austin as the referee, the same way you brought Steve Austin in uh, for that episode of Raw for the contract signing between Seth Rollins and Braun Strowman. When he goes, well, Michael Cole, you can't get a contract signed. So I'm going to come in and make sure that it gets done right. Bring in Steve Austin to be a referee in a no-holes-barred match. If you got Steve Austin as a referee, it doesn't have to be last man standing. Steve Austin referee, no-holes-barred, Survivor Series, Seth Rollins versus The Fiend. Steve will never call the match. Do the match, and you have The Fiend win the title. I think it's what you have to do. I mean, it'll feel like Tuesday in Texas. You remember 1991, and maybe I'm aging myself a little bit, Tuesday in Texas, when this character, The Undertaker, shows up, and he's got a match with Hulk Hogan, and people go, well, The Undertaker's undefeated. I've never seen a character like this before, but Hogan's Hogan. What's going to happen here? I mean, there's no way they're going to have The Undertaker win the championship from Hulk Hogan. But he's new. He's only been there a year. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Hogan doesn't lose. But at the same time, how can Hogan beat The Undertaker? And you watch the match, and there's interference, and there's schmozziness, but The Undertaker wins. The Undertaker walks out there with the championship. Not Tuesday in Texas. Survivor Series 91. Tuesday in Texas, they, they, you know, figured out how to get the title off The Undertaker, vacate it, and bring it to the Royal Rumble for the 92 Rumble that Ric Flair could then win. But... 1991 Survivor Series, The Undertaker shocks the world by beating Hulk Hogan and winning the WWE Championship. What if 91, 2001, 2011, plus eight, 28 years later, at Survivor Series 2019, The Fiend beats Seth Rollins and The Fiend becomes the Universal Championship. Then what you've got is a situation where Seth Rollins has lost everything. And I think he needs to lose everything. Seth Rollins loses everything. He's a broken shell of a person. And The Fiend is literally holding the WWE hostage. They have set The Fiend up in such a way after that Hell in a Cell match that it's impossible to beat him. Nobody can beat him. Put the Universal Championship on The Fiend. Nobody can beat him. And eventually, after the draft, what if Kofi Kingston is the guy to beat The Fiend? That's eventually, that's down the road, and we'll talk about the draft in a little bit. But I think that's what you have to do. You have to go to Survivor Series, no holds barred, Steve Austin or somebody like that as the referee, Fiend beats Seth Rollins for the title. Seth Rollins on the back burner, but a story is now told where Seth Rollins is broken. Becky Lynch tries to console him. Can't do anything for him. We now separate Becky and Seth. Not in a big dramatic, oh, this relationship is overway, but just in a way that we're now not talking about them together because Becky is onto her own stuff where she's succeeding and Seth is just this broken man who's by himself trying to figure out what he needs to do to be Seth Rollins again. Meanwhile, The Fiend is holding WWE hostage and nobody knows how to beat him. 
and nobody knows how to get the title off of him. And if you want, you can figure out how to vacate it. You can figure out how to do something down the road. You don't have to keep the title on The Fiend for a year. You can get the title off The Fiend later. But have him hold that title and hold the WWE hostage. Survivor Series is November, maybe for the rest of the year. Maybe you really repeat Survivor Series 91. Maybe the Universal title is up for grabs in the Royal Rumble. What about that? Maybe something happens. Maybe the Fiend gets suspended. Maybe the Fiend can't be... If something happens with the Fiend, maybe the Universal title is on the line in the Royal Rumble. Maybe a SmackDown guy wins the Royal Rumble and all of a sudden he's on Raw. Or the title comes to SmackDown. We have to figure that out. Who knows? There's a lot of ways this could go. Maybe Kofi Kingston looks like he's going to win the Royal Rumble and become the Universal Champion only for Brock to come in and eliminate Kofi and he's got both titles. You could go any which way you want to go. I'm not advocating for any of it. That's down the line. All I'm saying is what we need to do right now to correct what went on with Seth Rollins and The Fiend. Um, we go to Raw on Monday, and it was mainly matches. You know, I think it was a Raw where you know that theoretically, as of next week, everything is changing anyway, so there's not too much you can do. Uh, I was pretty surprised that they continued the Bobby Lashley-Lana storyline, the, the cuckold storyline in the first hour, in the first segment. I like Raw starting with action. I love the idea of Rusev getting beaten up or, you know, a, somebody getting jumped before the show starts. I liked this week that they started with action and they ended with action. That it looked like the show had started before the TV cameras turned on and it was ending after the TV cameras turned off. I thought that was really cool. I thought it was different. I thought it was fresh. I thought it worked. Um, I don't know that I would put Lana in bed with Lashley and taking her bra off at 8 o'clock at night instead of 10 o'clock at night, but that's I don't care. You know, My kids are in bed, so what difference does it make to me? I'll talk to you when they're older. Um, and, you know, I'll go back to it. It's a weird-as-hell storyline, but I love a storyline. And it really feels like weird storylines like that help define what Raw is. Raw is more of an entertainment show. I think SmackDown is more of a sports athletics show. And I think that's the way these things are going to play out. And as we look at the draft, we can see who gets drafted where and whether that's actually happening. Um... Aside from that, you had uh, 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 what's his name? Why am I why am I blanking on Tyson's name? Tyson and Braun, uh, Tyson Fury and Braun Strowman um, having their showdown, and you know some people are critical about the Tyson Fury involvement, but you know I I think WWE does a good job when they get celebrity involvement in, and maybe you think I'm a show for it, but I don't care if you think I'm a show. What difference does it make to me if you think that? Um, I mean, you know. I got my own shells, the Not Sam shells. They're incredible people. So if I'm a WWE show, shells are always incredible people as far as I know. I see them in the Discord room all the time from Patreon. Um, I'm rarely disappointed by celebrity matches, I think. You know, I mean, you don't get the best wrestling matches of all time, but at least it plays itself out. You know, we look back at Mike Tyson. I think universally people look at that as a net positive. I think that the Floyd Mayweather thing, We look back on that net positive. The year of Ronda Rousey in WWE, certainly look back on that net positive. The Lawrence Taylor storyline, you can be critical of that. Should it have been the main event of WrestleMania? What did it really do for Bam Bam Bigelow? You know, WrestleMania 11 as a whole, where does that rank? Sure. 
But in terms of where WWE was at that time in 1995 and the amount of attention that it got them and the fact that they actually did a match and Lawrence Taylor really wasn't bad, I believe that the Lawrence Taylor involvement was a net positive. Even in WCW, the Dennis Rodman involvement in WCW, we look back on that, net positive. This isn't like the era of Raw when you had a guest host every week, which you wouldn't say all those were net positives. This is somebody actually getting involved in a storyline, potentially a match that we're building towards. Um, and I think it's good for Braun Strowman to be shown on that level. I think, you know, Tyson Fury being as big as he is. And, you know, some people are like, well, you know, I don't even know who that is. But, I, you know, I don't watch boxing, and I know who Tyson Fury is. So the fact that I don't watch or care about boxing, and I've heard of this guy and know who he is, that leads me to believe this isn't a bad decision. So I'm in favor of it. I think it's good. Um, we move on to Wednesday. This was my first Wednesday being at home and actually getting to, like, switch back and forth and, and do the whole experience. And Wednesday night is just about as cool as it gets for a real wrestling fan. You've got two wrestling-centric shows, right? These are not—both these. of these shows, no matter what anybody says— NXT and AEW are targeting wrestling fans. And that's it. They're not targeting, you know, the wrestling fan that's walked away or this fan. They're targeting people who like wrestling. And that's who's getting targeted. Um, and neither NXT nor AEW has put on a bad show. Another set of great shows this week for both of them. I mean, obviously, I'm the biggest NXT fan in the world. Opening up with the cruiserweight match, Leo Rush versus Drew Gulak. I thought it was really cool because, you know, you're ballsy enough to open with a match where you have two guys that have been around for a little bit but are certainly not household names. You're live on the USA Network, 8 p.m., and you're just saying, like, are they household names? Maybe not. Will they put on an amazing match? Absolutely. So let's let this one play out. And they did. And the match was amazing. And Leo Rush winning the cruiserweight title. First of all, I wonder what it'll mean for 205 Live. If Leo Rush is going to jump back and forth or if 205 Live will still exist, but the championship will be defended on NXT. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I, I have no idea. But I think Leo has had really good showings on NXT. And that's somebody that I'd love to talk to. I hope I get a chance to interview Leo Rush soon because... Um, He's had just an amazing, crazy, up-and-down year. To disappear off TV, to have all this controversy around you, to, you know, be a guy that is, you know, he's one of these uh, pariahs, if you will. To surprise everybody by showing up on NXT to now be the Cruiserweight Champion and, and you know, get to show everybody why we loved him in the first place because he's so good, uh, I think is awesome. I think it's really cool, and I'd love to hear that story sometime. Uh, I thought the Kushida-Walter match, all the matches on the show were good. I love what's going on with Rhea Ripley. I love that the women's championship and the men's championship in NXT have multiple suitors. That Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair both feel like they're the ones that are in line for a women's championship match. I love that as you look at Adam Cole, you have Ciampa saying, like, I'm next in line. And Finn Balor's like, well, guess what? I'm here now. I should be competing for it. I would imagine that as far as the men go, they're going to set up. I th hope that we end up, I think for TakeOver War Games, this is what I would do. I would put 
Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair in a rivalry together leading up to the pay-per-view, and eventually Rhea Ripley comes out on top. Shayna Baszler versus Rhea Ripley for the NXT Women's Championship at TakeOver. I guess it's War Games, right? I don't know if they've announced it yet or not. I mean, every year it's War Games, so I hope it's War Games because I'm thinking in my head, will there be a War Games match at Survivor Series weekend? And I'm thinking, especially based on the segment last night, my favorite segment of the show was the talking segment after Roddy Strong's match. And awesome to see Shane Strickland in the spotlight that he was in. Shane is so good. Um, or, or Isaiah Swerve Scott, I should say. Isaiah Swerve Scott. Amazing. Um, but my favorite segment of the night was the Undisputed Era in the ring together, Velveteen Dream on the perch, uh, Ciampa at the Iowa. And it was just one of those segments where they just utilized their space so well. And I felt like utilized their roster so well. You know what I'm saying? Um, that I just thought it was really cool. Um, it, it really was like, okay, here we go. This is NXT. I think that's the one thing that NXT could do a little bit more of is storytelling. You know, they do better than anybody in terms of wrestling matches. There's no better show on TV for matches than NXT. But in terms of story, I would like a little bit more story. They did some, like I said, with Rhea Ripley, with Bianca Belair, with this segment with the uh, Undisputed Era, Velveteen, and Ciampa. But I think there should be more stories. And what I would like to see happen is a War Games match where you got the four members of the Undisputed Era and they would go against Velveteen Dream, Tommaso Ciampa, Finn Balor, and maybe maybe Matt Riddle. And I would do a thing where, since all of the Undisputed Era guys have championships, whichever Undisputed Era guy, should the Undisputed Era lose... Whichever guy takes the fall, the submission, however they lose, whichever guy is the one that the decision is scored on, the person who scores the decision will get the title of the person who he scored the fall on. So if Finn Balor scores the decision on Roderick Strong, if he taps out Roderick Strong, Finn Balor leaves War Games as the United States champion. Not all the titles change. Just the one that the decision is made. If Matt Riddle pins uh, Adam Cole, Matt Riddle is the NXT champion. If Matt Riddle pins uh, Bobby Fish, Matt Riddle is given both the NXT Tag Team Championships, and it's up to Matt Riddle to decide who his partner would be. I think that would be a cool thing for War Games, and it's just something that popped into my head as I saw that segment happen on NXT. So I love that segment on NXT. And then... Uh, you know, I thought AEW was really good, too. I like the inner circle stuff. Um, I think Jericho is, you know, no shocker, doing, again, some of the best work in his career. Um, and they spent a good amount of time uh, building people, Darby Allen especially. You know, I thought this episode was kind of dedicated. The way I feel like last episode was dedicated to the rise of Sammy Guevara. I think this episode was dedicated to the rise of Darby Allen. And I thought it was a good choice. I liked it. And it looked like a big show again. It looked really, really cool. Hey, I want to go through the upcoming WWE draft in just a minute. But first, I want to shout out one of our most loyal sponsors of all time here on Not Sam Wrestling. It's people like this that keep the show afloat. And those people are the wonderful folks at SeatGeek. Not only do they keep the show afloat, but they allow you to easily go to any event that you want to be a part of. I'm talking about boxing, wrestling, MMA, baseball, football, concerts, Broadway, comedy. They have it all on one app. 
You see, there's millions of live event tickets all over the place. SeatGeek puts them all together. It even rates each deal on a scale of 1 to 10 and displays them on an interactive seat map. Green dots mean good deals. Red dots are overpriced. So you know exactly where you're going to sit, and you know if the seats you want are overpriced but you really want them, go ahead and pay. You may have found the deal of a lifetime. Just look for the green. If the seat is good enough for you, take it. Why not? I always like a deal. You can stop searching for the perfect seat. You can just start enjoying it. Make it about the event, not about the hunt for getting the right ticket. The tickets are fully guaranteed every purchase. So there's no embarrassing trips to the box office only to find out that your ticket is fake. It doesn't happen with SeatGeek, ever. That's got to be why SeatGeek has over 50,000 five-star reviews. Look, I got the app on my phone. It is so easy to use. I can, I, sometimes I just use it to find out what's playing in my area. You can search by area. You can search by uh, uh, genre of entertainment. You can search by specific event. Whatever you need to find. It's got all the information right there. And when you decide it's time to buy a ticket to something, it's two clicks away. It's so simple. And you're going to get an even better deal because SeatGeek is going to give you $10 off your first purchase just because you're a Not Sam Wrestling listener. All you need to do is use our promo code. Download the SeatGeek app today and use promo code SAM for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code SAM for $10 off on your first purchase. Uh, okay, so here's our special treat for this episode uh, of Thursday, Not Sam Thursday. Uh, we got the draft. The draft is coming up starting on Friday and going into Monday. So it's tomorrow. By the time you hear this, the draft is 24 hours away, maybe even less if you don't listen immediately. I've decided to draft the majority of the of my Raw and SmackDown rosters. Not everybody is here, but all the big-name players are here. And I did it in a couple of different ways, you know. Number one, both shows need star power. And both shows need star power for a different reason. Like I said, in my head, I'm putting Raw together as the more entertainment-based show and SmackDown as the more wrestling-based show. Everybody needs heroes. Everybody needs villains. Everybody needs stars. So this is what I came up with. Um, I'm, first of all, my first decision was to pull a switcheroo. Charlotte, the SmackDown Women's Champion, to Raw, and first, and I and I love and, and Becky, the Raw Women's Champion, to SmackDown, and I would just simply have them switch titles. Becky, the SmackDown Women's Champion now, and Charlotte, the Raw Women's Champion now. I would switch my two women's champions. I love, love that all throughout Raw they were building this as USA and Fox, kind of wanting to pick. Which side? I love the idea that instead of having, you know, fake figureheads, that they have, that they're actually pitting the networks against each other. And they, for the first time ever, when the draft first started, the idea was that we'll build our own competition. For the first time ever on Monday, when it was described as Fox wants these people, USA wants those people, you actually had the sense of competition. You actually had this sense of, okay, these networks are, are fighting each other to get the people that they want. And that means that 
Raw and SmackDown are in competition, which I think is great. And WWE has expertly positioned themselves where the competitor, AEW, that re- at this point in time, AEW's war feels like it's with NXT. It feels like AEW is confined to that Wednesday war. And WWE feels like it's a bigger deal. It just that's that's a perception, I think. It feels like it is. And if you look at the ratings, it is. I think that it looks like now Raw and SmackDown are in competition. When people talk, they go, what's the biggest show of the week? It used to be Raw. Is it going to be SmackDown? Can SmackDown maintain it? Maybe it'll be Raw. They go, what's bigger, Raw or SmackDown? They go, who won the Wednesday Night War, AEW or NXT? I think that's awesome. I think that everybody wins there. Everybody wins, no matter how you cut it, okay? So, Raw Entertainment, SmackDown, Athletic, Wrestling, Sports, okay? I switched my women's champions. Charlotte on Raw, Becky on SmackDown. I also looked at the women's division specifically. I think that uh, the women's tag team title has gotten forgotten, and part of that is because it shifts in between brands. We don't really know who's in the division, blah, blah, blah. The women's tag team championship is coming to SmackDown. The Kabuki Warriors drafted to SmackDown, and they're bringing the tag team titles with them. So I figure that that means that most of the women that also function as tag team athletes would be best on SmackDown. So the Iconics to SmackDown, Alexa Bliss to SmackDown, Nikki Cross to SmackDown, um, Fire and Desire to SmackDown, Mandy Rose and uh, uh, and Sonya Deville. And what you do is you take those one, two, three major tag teams, and you've also got six women that can compete in the solo division as well. And I think that that, that works best for both divisions. I would also keep... Bailey on SmackDown and I would bring Sasha Banks to SmackDown and I would consider maybe having Sasha Banks beat Becky and then having Bailey want her shot at Sasha Banks but I would put Bailey and Sasha Banks both on SmackDown over on Raw uh, pretty much the rest of the women's division. You're talking about Nia Jax. You're talking about Natalia. You're talking about Lacey Evans. You know Dana Brooke. You know the rest of the women's division. I would put on Raw, but that I mean that look that does leave SmackDown pretty heavy in the women's division. So, but I don't know. That's the way I like it. Um, so for Raw, I'm keeping the Fiend on Raw. I think that The Fiend works best on Raw. It's entertainment-based angle. I think that, that that's what works. Um, I am keeping Rusev and Lashley on Raw because I think that that storyline, it has to be played out. We can't just have this stuff happening. It has to be played out, and I don't think that we want to play it out on SmackDown. Um, Elias is going to be a Raw athlete because Elias is pure entertainment, and I think he'll be great on Raw. Our truth is going to be a Raw... Did I say SmackDown for Elias? I meant Raw. R-Truth is going to be a Raw athlete because R-Truth is is pure entertainment. Um, I am bringing over the package of Shinsuke Nakamura, the Intercontinental Champion, and Sami Zayn, obviously, over to Raw. So the Intercontinental title 
gets moved to Raw. In terms of entertainment, who is the best entertainment act in WWE right now? Arguably, the New Day. All three members of the New Day move to Raw. And I like this even better because people are hungry for a Brock Lesnar-Kofi Kingston rematch. However, Kofi Kingston and his New Day partners are over on Raw now, far away from the WWE Championship. In terms of characters, I keep the Viking Raiders on Raw. Um, and then I started looking, and I keep Seth Rollins on Raw. Because I think as I set up the whole thing with Seth Rollins and The Fiend, I think the Seth Rollins and The Fiend thing needs to continue. And I think that it has to continue on Raw. Um, I also started looking at who has worked best. It, it seems like who has Paul Heyman put some time into both historically and within the last you know month or two on Monday Night Raw. And that's why Bobby Roode and Ziggler, the Raw Tag Team Champions, stay on Raw. Cesaro is on Raw. Aleister Black is on Raw. And then I go, who do I want to see Paul Heyman sink his teeth into? Samoa Joe is on Raw. Ali is on Raw. Chad Gable is on Raw. And then you're probably going, well, we need a little bit more star power on Raw. So I'm putting Daniel Bryan, who, if he's going to be a good guy, let's make him a good guy. Let's not leave him in the shadow of Roman Reigns. Let's put him on Raw as one of the top guys. Because the beauty that... that Bray Wyatt and Daniel Bryan made together before The Fiend, I'd love to see that repeated. I'd love to see The Fiend win the title. And then looking at The Fiend on Raw is Daniel Bryan, is Kofi Kingston, you know, is, is, is all these guys. I would also bring Harper and Rowan over to Raw because I would like to see next week the Viking Raiders beat Bobby Lashley, I mean, I'm sorry, beat Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler for the tag team titles. And then I would like to see a match between the Viking Raiders and the Bludgeon Brothers, Luke Harper and uh, Eric Rowan. So that's what my Raw looks like. Over on SmackDown, you know what? And Kevin Owens is moving to Raw too. I'm putting Kevin Owens on Raw. Over on SmackDown, Brock Lesnar, WWE champion, officially a SmackDown athlete. I think that provides a tremendous value to Fox. If you want more value... I'm putting Braun Strowman on SmackDown too. Braun Strowman has done everything he's going to do on Raw. Braun Strowman moves to SmackDown full-time. More star power because this is Fox. Roman Reigns is staying on SmackDown. Eventually, you know, Roman Reigns is going to want a shot at the WWE Championship. And you can do Roman versus Brock without getting upset about Kofi if they're on two separate shows. More star power. All three members of the club are moving to SmackDown. Gallows and Anderson are on SmackDown, and then you can build AJ Styles. The Intercontinental Champion is on Raw. AJ Styles, Gallows, and Anderson are on SmackDown. I'm also putting King Corbin on SmackDown because I think it'll give him a, a fresh coat of paint. And Drew McIntyre, when he returns, will return to SmackDown. We're bringing the Revival to SmackDown full-time because they're the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. And the Usos, when they return, are going to be on SmackDown. Also, to fill out that tag team division, the Authors of Pain and Heavy Machinery, both on SmackDown. Again, we're heavy on tag teams, we're heavy on women on SmackDown, but 
You got to fill up that roster because I think you want SmackDown to be a very fast-paced show. And in order to do that, you got to have a lot going on. Um, you got to get some athleticism going. I'm putting Cedric Alexander and Ricochet on SmackDown. The Miz is staying on SmackDown because I think Miz TV is the one entertainment portion that you can do on SmackDown. And then we're going to round it out with Rey Mysterio and Andrade on SmackDown. Now, I just kind of did that. So let me see. You have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Oh, and Randy Orton is going to Raw. That's some star power for Raw. Randy Orton. 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28 on Raw. And 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 32 on SmackDown. Heavy Machinery might get moved to Raw. Maybe, we'll, yeah, we're going to put Heavy Machinery on Raw. Yeah, Heavy Machinery just got traded over to Raw. Now you're 30 and 30, and I think that's where you want to, you want the, the dust to settle. Maybe you put Hawkins and Ryder on Raw and some of the talent that I didn't name. And Raw would, I mean, I don't think I named Dana Brooke, I, you know, uh, um, Tamina. You could, all, they all go to Raw because they're mainly singles, you know, women. Sarah Logan stays on Raw, people like that. That's how my rosters look. I'd love to hear how your rosters look. Let me know. Uh, you can hit me up uh, on Patreon at patreon.com slash wrestling. Uh, you can also uh, hit me up on email, notsamwrestling at gmail.com. And uh, I see uh, WWE Front Row says, uh, I'd consider bringing Tony Storm to Raw based on your picks. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I keep Tony Storm on NXT to tell you the truth. I think NXT needs more new women because Shayna Baszler has beaten everybody. Uh, and Let's Get Weird is asking, hey, Scoops, that's me. Where's Jason Jordan? Is he waiting to destroy Chad Gable? I don't know where Jason Jordan is. I guess he's, you know, injured. But um, I also wanted to say happy belated birthday to one of our, uh, the brothers of one of our great people on Patreon. Uh, happy belated birthday to Kevin. It was on October 7th. So, Kevin, happy belated birthday. And we're going to see you first thing Monday, hopefully with some exclusive stuff from Vegas and the press conference. We'll see you on Monday. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. See you later, folks. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.